the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. Former governor of Virginia, running to be the next governor of Virginia today, said this yesterday, quote, We've got to diversify our teacher base here in Virginia. 50% of students at Virginia schools, K-12, 50% are students of color, and yet 80% of the teachers are white. We all know what we have to do in a school to make everybody feel comfortable in school, close quote. About this, several things. First off, I'm not sure how he gets to 50% of Virginia's elementary and secondary schools are persons of color. Unless he includes, he can only get there if he includes Asian students along with black and Hispanic students. Now, I'm guessing the demand of most of these parents is actually not that the teacher of their children have a skin color different than their own. If they do, that's an adult race problem, an adult racism problem. How did Ruby Bridges put it? Racism is a grown-up disease. Let's stop using our kids to spread it is how she put it. Or as Hannah Arendt put it, have we now come to the point where it is the children who are being asked to change or improve the world? And do we intend to have our political battles fought out in the schoolyards? If parents are teaching their children that the race of a person or the color of their skin should make someone uncomfortable, Terry McAuliffe's word, that too is an adult problem and shame on that parent. When he says we have to make everybody feel more comfortable in school, let's try that out the easy way, Terry. Are white children part of everybody? By your own statistics, they are at least half the student body. Should they not be made to feel comfortable too? And so you will propose, I take it, that white children or students should only be given a white teacher? Of course this is nonsense, except worse than on stilts. It's nonsense that should have fled the scene after Bull Connor, if not after Nuremberg. Lest we forget, the whole point of integration was that we would all learn from one another, and by not separating people by race, teachers, students, dorms, classrooms, railway cars, Americans would feel like Americans with their fellow Americans, and over time, prejudices would recede, as, in the words of Supreme Court Justice John Marshall Harlan, there is only one race here, American. As we've been moving further and further away from integration, separating more and more, replacing Martin Luther King Jr. posters with Malcolm X posters and trading in coexist T-shirts for Che Guevara T-shirts, have we become more racially pacified and harmonious? Or... Pitting person against person by claiming race dictates thought, have we become more divided and more ugly? Yes, count me one who thinks racism is still an ugly idea, whether it's practiced by Adolf Hitler or David Duke, 
by Malcolm X or Louis Farrakhan or the Smithsonian or any other institution or person affiliating with and mimeographing the BLM mantra. I've never understood how it is any different for Louis Farrakhan to call Jews vermin than it is for Adolf Hitler, any more than I've understood how it's any different for George Wallace to say blacks think differently than whites than it is for Joe Biden to say if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, any more than I distinguish between Osama bin Laden calling Jews and Christians monkeys and apes and any other anti-Christian or anti-Semite saying exactly the same thing. Or for Terry McAuliffe to say, one race of teachers cannot teach a different race of students. Bin Laden's, Hitler's, Malcolm X's, Louis Farrakhan's, and all the rest's skin color is to me irrelevant. What they think, what they said, what they proposed, and what they did is what mattered. You know, it's a good thing there was a white woman willing to teach Ruby Bridges when nobody else would. Just as it was a good thing nine white men torpedoed rightfully, segregated schools preaching and practicing this vestige of slavery and Nazism in 1954. Though in all candor, I really never thought of these people as white until the race mongers among us told us that all that really did matter was the race of people after all. Until then, I never really distinguished at all between the men who wrote Board versus Brown and the man who wrote the lead brief on behalf of the NAACP, Thurgood Marshall. And, of course, the point of Thurgood Marshall's brief in Brown versus Board of Education and his career up until about 1976 was doing his darned best to make sure nobody else thought differently of them either. But let's talk about the role of the school, which Mr. McAuliffe embraces. Schools are there to make children comfortable. He says, doesn't say teach information, which would explain the tragically high failure rates of children, especially minority children in Virginia. Nearly one third of eighth graders fail in reading. Twenty five percent of them fail in math. Terry McCullough stated last month, quote, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach, close quote. Should be should parents be allowed to be responsible for their children's emotional and social feelings and to use McAuliffe's word, comfort? Or is that now also the state's role, too? You see, we are put into a public policy conundrum, or catch-22. We mandate your child go to school. Then we mandate, against any wishes or concerns parents have, what is taught, and now how children should feel comfortable or not. One wonders what the exercise and point of electing a school board is at all. But it's a hell of a power grab. You are forced by the coercion of the law to send your children to school, and you are then forced to allow the state to teach your child any damned line. And you don't get a say, including on comfort levels, including helping make comfortable kindergartners who want to change their gender. Pretty soon you have not Virginia, but Havana. Not Loudoun County, but Beijing. The state is everywhere, starting with the power of grabbing your children. And of course, that's the point, not teaching, reading, and math, but indoctrination, in junk thought. If math and reading were the goals, I think you could do that substantially well for what it costs to educate a child in Virginia. $12,000 per student in the public schools per year. 
for comparison's sake, there's a well-known private school in Phoenix that a lot of the so-called higher percenters send their children to, and it costs thousands less than it does to teach children in Virginia in the public schools. We have been here before, and no, not in the South, but in New York City. The year was 1968. The neighborhoods in question, like Ocean Hill, Brownsville, had seen a lot of influx into the Brooklyn community from racial minorities. The teachers were, however, by and large Jewish. But this was a time of tremendous racial nationalism. And the King, Martin Luther King, ethic of nonviolence and racial blindness was being taken over by the Angela Davises and the Black Panthers and the Stokely Carmichaels, who had broken with King over the issue of nonviolence. The demand from those taking over school leadership position was that Jews should not and could not teach blacks. Rhody McCoy, a Malcolm X devotee, became head of the school board, and that's when the tensions began. Or as the New York Times story on his passing wrote, quote, adding fuel to an already combustible cauldron was a supporting cast that included Herman Ferguson, who was nominated as a principal by the district's governing board while under indictment for conspiring to murder moderate civil rights leaders. Another person brought in was Leslie Campbell, a black teacher who, doing a radio interview, read a poem that included the lines, You pale-faced Jew boy, I wish you were dead, and others. It's a pretty short line between advocating race constitutes thinking or humanity or that comfort only comes when you are not with someone of a different race, and blatant racial slurs and vitriol and violence. And was 1968 violent in New York, especially if you did wear a yarmulke on your head and you worked in the city school system? You see, there's all this talk about a potential civil war in America. There's but no question that our house is divided. The pain comes when you realize the last time we recognized this over one big thing, race and racism and the meaning of America, we did fight a civil war. The salve was, we thought, that house was divided, became settled, only by dint of the terrible swift sword of the 1860s, vindicating the Frederick Douglasses and the Abraham Lincolns and the Ulysses S. Grants views over the Jefferson Davises, Alexander Stevens, and Nathan Bedford Forrests. The former thought all men are created equal was true and settled. The latter that it was a lie and surrendering to it was a crime. We can continue to go down that road, but what a shame that a country founded on the noblest intentions and virtues in all history would itself surrender to the lost and inimical cause of the KKK, the Third Reich, Marxist-Leninism, Maoism, Guevarism, and help us please, McAuliffeism. As Bobby Darren put it, we don't want your war. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I should have given out the number before. I did not do so. Pardon my lays majesté. 602-508-0960. Jean is in Tempe. Hello, Jean. You there? I am here. Oh, that was strange. Okay, I thought you hung up on me. I would never do such a thing. 
Oh, hi, Seth. Okay, I wanted to make sure it was you. You times betcha. Are, it's me. Times are so strange. I know. <laughs> what should I say to confirm that it's me? You know what they used to do? You know how how there were um, these supposedly controversial verses in the second stanza of the National Anthem, which the BLM seized on? Versus no one ever learned here. One of the ways they trained uh, CIA agents to know that they were in the presence of a double agent was when that person knew the rest of the national anthem. Because no oh, one okay. in America has ever taught it. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so I, you may need some way to know that you're actually talking to me. My word. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Beth, you, you have a very unique voice. So okay. I just needed to hear you say a few words. Uh, but anyway, and you know how sometimes the connection on the phone isn't so good. Of sometimes course. I don't recognize my I know, I calls. Know. We're good. But anyway, what I wanted to say, uh, I was listening to your monologue. And I know everybody realizes that the perception of racism is so much worse because the politicians, the left, let me say, the left has been stirring the pot because they have nothing else to say, really, you know, especially with the mess they've been making the thing. So yeah, what do you do once racism. you've won? What do yeah, you do once exactly. you've won? Well, look what they've done. They've made yeah. a mess of absolutely everything. But right. anyway, hopefully that's going to change shortly. I hope so. But what I was going to say... Um, and I think we were doing well as far as, you know, uh, historically speaking, um, you know, Obama, a black man, was able to become president. I mean, anybody that worked hard and had a good heart and the merit issue, it seems, w- would be able to rise up in our society. Not to say that there aren't prejudices and that sort, sort of thing. However, uh, I think what we're seeing now as a result of the left and their pot stirring, is just simply a symptom of biblical illiteracy. And let me explain what I mean. I'll make it really short. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's the gospel. It's a sin problem. So, you know, for the blacks to say, oh, you're racist against me, well, I assure you the blacks are just as racist against whites and everybody else. Um, if you go to, let's look at Israel, and of course the Jews, and I'm part Jew, so I can say this, uh, claim anti-Semitism, which is racism, but there was an interesting article in the New York Times about, in the international section, about Israel and Jerusalem and what's going on there with the Palestinians, and there's about five or six different Jewish sects, and they're all fighting infighting among the Jews, depending on where they're from. You've got to read the article. It was just great. Or, of course, you know, the Palestinians hate the Jews. This is just simply human sin. And the Bible tells us that. And people don't realize it. They're so shocked by this hatred. Well, this has been around since time immemorial. It's not going to go away until this earth goes away. And what the Bible teaches, if you knew, not you, one, knew what the Bible said, is you turn the other cheek, and you forgive, you love back, you don't return in kind. And granted, we have a lot of work to do to teach that lesson and to make sure that everyone, and one of the major things that we can do is to let these black people get away from these horrible schools. And you do that with vouchers. And of course, who's against vouchers? The teachers' unions, the left, I mean, the left is the one that is a big part of this problem. 
but the biblical illiteracy, I think, is a huge problem. People don't know, and they think, this is nothing unusual. We need to love back, forgive, do good to those that hate you, and, you know, just move on with your life. Don't you think? Well, there's a lot you said, Jean, and it's and it's pregnant with um, with different differing conclusions. Um, let me try it this way, if I can, in response. Um, I, I think when you talk about whites hating blacks and blacks hating whites, I I, I think that there's probably always going to be a small or subpopulation where you will never eradicate to perfection. Correct. I think that will always be the case. Correct. But I do also believe in reducing, minimizing, and devaluing the merits and the reasons, the inspirations for that hate. And I believe you can do that. This is a monumentally, for example, this is a monumentally different country than it was in the 50s. You would, you would agree with that. On, oh, on, on the race issue, 48 percent of white people in 1958, 48 percent said that they would move if a black person came to their neighborhood, moved into their neighborhood. Forty eight percent in 1958. We, By 1978, that was 13 percent. By and, 1997, it was one percent. Right. We've come a long way. Barack Obama, when he was a U.S. senator stood at the Edmund Pettus Bridge in 2007 and said, we are the Joshua generation, invoking your biblical allusions. He said, we are the Joshua generation. The Moses generation, Martin Luther King's generation, got us 90% there. It is left to us to get the other 10%. That was before he became president twice which, as Larry Elder likes to point out, you would think cuts something into that 10%, doesn't it? Right, right, right. So you can do these things, but look at what it took to do it. It took integration and the lesson that all men are created equal, that lesson, and we had to make it concrete. We had to use the force of law to institute it in several different ways. And we did. And we were doing just fine. So fine that a state like Iowa, which is 95% white, can twice vote for Barack Obama. Now, what has caused the recent divisions that have taken us perhaps from 95% somewhere into the 70% range? It's the opposite of everything we did to get that 90%. It's not integration. It's separation. It's not the notion that race is irrelevant. It's the notion that race is relevant. It's not the notion that race dictates no thought. It's the notion that race does dictate thought. It's taking us from Brown versus Board of Education's ethics to Nuremberg's. She's like a rainbow. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. His website, his radio show, is every Saturday morning right here at 7 a.m. on 960 The Patriot. J.D., how you doing today, sir? 
Fantastic, Seth. How's it going? I'm doing fine. I'm in a I'm in an energetic mood. I'm in a good mood. Uh, it's election day. That should always be a good yeah. day. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll get even better results. Hopefully so. Talk to me a little bit. I heard someone mentioning this in passing the other day, and I didn't I didn't pause on it long enough to think about it. And I'm glad you flagged it for us. Zillow, and everyone knows Zillow. It's probably the first site that comes up when you're looking at a new home, right? It says it's closing right. its home buying business and cutting 25% of its workforce. Talk to me about mm-hmm. this. Well, I mean, we've all seen the real estate market. We've been talking about this for the past year, two years, how we've seen real estate prices uh, continue to rise. And everyone was just waiting for uh, the time when maybe the prices would start to slow down and in some cases, some people were thinking maybe there was going to be some type of a bubble that would occur like we saw back in 2007 and eight. Well, I don't really think we're going to see this bubble like we saw back then, but we are starting to see prices uh, come down a bit for resale homes. And this report that came out today really kind of tells us what's really happening. You know, Zillow, as you mentioned, if you want to know what the value of your property is, a lot of people would just go in and type in Zillow and they would look up their property or any property for yeah. that matter huh. and get an idea or an indication of what the approximate value is. That's not an absolute, but at least gives you an indication based on sales in the general vicinity of your home. But on uh, you know reporting today, uh, Zillow, which is a publicly traded company, trades under the symbol ZG, uh, talked about how they were basically going to be getting out of the home buying business. Now, maybe a lot of people didn't realize that Zillow even bought homes. Right. But believe it or not, Zillow bought 3,805 houses in the second quarter of 2021, but they only sold 2,086. Well, that's a big difference. And what they're finding is is the homes in their portfolio that they've purchased, they're believing are somewhere in the 4 to 5 percent less value than what they paid for them. Obviously, that's not a good business model, and they're recognizing this, and they're pretty much going to be getting out of the business. So they're going to be trying to sell uh, approximately 7,000 homes in their portfolio. Uh, And the question is, where are they going to sell them? Well, a lot of uh, individuals may be looking at possibly trying to buy these, but most likely institutional investors, Seth, will be buying these other companies out there that buy packages of real estate. and uh, But it's an interesting uh, thought here that these properties are going to be coming on the market. Yeah, and I guess this is kind of the challenge that, that so many people face, uh, especially if they're in the buying uh, part of it. Well, either way, I guess it's on either side, yeah. buying or selling, is that Zillow is saying they, they are having a harder and harder time using algorithms to predict, for lack right. of a better word, or analysis, or give analysis to any credible kind of uh, of, of of market pr- uh, prospection, future value, market, market, future market value. forecasting. Yeah, right. So, and that's right. If you're buying something, you're buying it with the expectation. At least, if you're an investor, a smart investor, you're buying something with the understanding or hope that it's going to go up in value. Now, this is the interesting part of this. You know, we talk about day trading in the stock market. We're not day traders, but this is basically day trading for a person buying a house. I'm going to buy it, and I'm trying to flip it and sell it as fast as I can. And that's what Zillow is doing. They're buying these homes, and they were selling, buying and selling. 
but they kind of got caught. They got into this, I believe it was just back in 2019 is when they really started to go full swing into this area of real estate, not just being a software company and estimating values of properties, but now getting into the purchase of these properties. Uh, and this, uh, they kind of got caught. They probably got into this a little bit too late. Mm-hmm. And again, as you said, no one can predict uh, the future value of just about anything. No, that's out right. There. We know that's there's right. no crystal ball. Yogi Berra um, said the hardest thing to predict is the future. Is the future, right. <laughs> and they kind, of got, they kind of got caught here. Yeah. Um, the stock itself is down about 50% value since its peak. So, um, again, we've got to be cautious when we're investing in anything out there and understand the risks that are involved in that. And that's why it's always good to work with an advisor to understand how you can build a portfolio that's right for your specific scenario. Perfect. Perfectly done. Thank you, And they sir. can reach out to me. Happy to do that. Securities and Advisory Services offered through Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and SIPC, and an investment advisor at Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Thank John you. Dombrowski, thank you. I'm Seth Liebson. We're here at 602-508-0960, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Mike's in Maricopa. Hi, Mike. Yes, good afternoon, Seth. How's things on that side? Really well. How about on yours? Well, I'm doing just fine, but I have some real sad news coming out of southern Arizona. Uh, There was this boy, his last name is Mendez. He's 16 years old. Uh, Saturday afternoon, uh, down around Tombstone, Arizona, a sheriff's deputy tried to pull him over for a traffic violation. Uh, He took off. The Border Patrol joined the chase. Uh, They were going at 100 miles an hour. Uh, He was driving a Dodge Charger. And after they exceeded a certain speed, policy is to back off because there's been too many lawsuits trying to blame the police to pull somebody over Mm -hmm. because they're driving erratically and at a high rate of speed. Well, somewhere around I or State Route 90, that's a road that goes from I-10 down to Fort Huachuca, he ran a red light and he killed a 65-year-old woman. Uh, She was going to go meet her son for her 65th birthday party, and then it turned out that there were, he was transporting illegal aliens in the vehicle. Uh, She was killed. He got a little shook up. He's in uh, jail now with a $50,000 bail. Uh, The illegals were transported by ambulance to a nearest facility. I've searched around, and the only place that I can find this article is on the Arizona Daily Independent. I typed in just a generic search and, you know, just use some keywords to look for it, and there's absolutely nothing other than Georgia's looking at giving illegals driver's license or what's the penalty for illegals driving and things. But the odd thing is, it seems to be that all these drivers, and there's been a number of them just this year alone, that they all seem to be from Maricopa County. Uh, In January, there was a van uh, 
driven by somebody from Maricopa County that flipped over and uh, it had 14 illegal aliens in it. Uh, several people died and the person is facing numerous felony charges. Uh, there was somebody from Somerton and he's been arrested for uh, transporting illegals. He's been charged with seven felonies. Uh, there was even an ASU student, a female, that didn't want to get a, a loan to attend college, so she thought she could get down there and get in the illegal alien transport business to make some money, college tuition on the side. Uh, there seems to be three contributing main factors to this. It's Biden's border policy, which is a disaster. Uh, there's basically absolutely no media coverage on this other than just the initial arrest, and it's always vague. Like, most likely this one will turn out. It'll say something like 65-year-old woman dies in car accident in southern uh-huh, Arizona right, without right, giving right, right, the right, right. Yeah. And uh, then the other part of it is it's the social media that's involved in it, because they're basically recruiting the drivers to do this. You know, they come out here and say they're going to clamp down on drug dealing or child porn and stuff, but this stuff is going on where somebody can go to WhatsApp or Facebook or something and somebody says, hey, I'm, you know, down here by the border. Can I get a ride? There doesn't seem to be a lot of indication that the Border Patrol per se is it or not, excuse me, the cartels are involved in this. It looks more along the lines that it's just independent people asking for a ride. But there definitely seems to be some indication that uh, again and again, Again and again, it always seems to be, number one, people from Maricopa County, and they're transporting illegal aliens. It's the saddest, of, th- it's, it's, it's the saddest of, thing is, of things at so many levels, Mike. Uh, first of all, uh, there are those cases. There's the case of uh, the, what was the story I saw a day or so ago, a woman drowned uh, trying to cross the border on her own. Who knows whether she was cartel- cartelized or not? It doesn't matter. Assuming she wasn't, uh, assuming she wasn't, then you know we have we have provided some kind of magnet or incentive for people to do this to risk their lives and lose them. Uh, in so risking them, um, but of course we also have the problem of uh, illegal drugs that are coming through. Never mind uh, illegal illegal guns or illegal people. Uh, the illegal drugs that they are bringing through. It's enough fentanyl has been seized over the past year. Enough fentanyl at the border has been seized to kill the entire state of Arizona and then some. Every human being in the state of Arizona and then some. I, I just want people to understand that. Now, when they say, but that's a good thing, that means it was seized. Uh, sure, sure. And, and And when you notice how many people are not arrested or seized upon entry, that becomes a bad thing. Then it becomes a bad thing. I, um, I, Mike, it's 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 sad at that level. It's sad at the level that there is not a single person in the federal government that gives two darns about this. Not one. The only person we have been told who will be responsible for this is the vice president, who has spent more time campaigning for other candidates than dealing with the border. One might say Department of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, he's been to the border once. Joe Biden lied on national TV to Anderson Cooper and the American people's face by saying he's been to the border. He hasn't. And no one seems to give a darn. 
No one. Except, obviously, people who live in the border states and people who think that the sovereignty of a nation, including this one, actually matters. It's, it's so sad at so many levels, Mike. You're going to lose Absolutely. a country by losing its countrymen. That's what you're going to have happen here. That's what you're going to have happen here. And well, you, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I got one here from the CBP.gov, and this is from the 13th of October about the agent sees a large quantity of fentanyl at a checkpoint. And I guess this was on uh, I-10 or something like that, but it was 53 pounds of fentanyl. And that's enough to kill uh, somewhere between 15 and 20 million people. And that's just one drug bust. Uh And there's numerous other things over here. I got other articles about some guys over in San Diego. uh, They were uh, taken hostages. And there's some other one up up, up in Bakersfield, California, about some dude getting, uh, he was running the drug ring, running drugs all the way out to Oklahoma. It's just all over the place. And I know I, I sometimes get frustrated because they try to educate the people yep. like you say if they don't live in a border state yep. they don't care yeah and and you know oftentimes sometimes they'll bog down into a specific issue about you know child trafficking or human yeah. smuggling and yeah. and what happens with that but you know uh, the uh, certain places where these big pipelines run through in mexico they're um state-owned pemex it's called yep. uh, the drug cartels are siphoning one billion dollars of fuel from these pipelines oh, it's a huge, per it's year. It's a huge operation. And I don't want people to think they're just sex and drug cartels. They are, they are, they are a multi-vertically integrated organizations, these cartels, involved in everything from drugs and people to bootleg movies. They really are. They're a hell of an organization, hell of an illegal and dangerous one. I had a caller yesterday talking about the climate summit uh, that the United Nations uh, was uh, sponsoring and talking about the hypocrisy of, you know, all the all the travel and all the use of energy consumption of energy and output of carbon that it took to put that meeting together. And how do they do this with a straight face? And I simply was trying to make the point that. I don't think they care. I don't think they care about the climate. If they cared about the climate, obviously they would change their own lives before they ask everyone else to change theirs. If they cared about the climate, they would they would try their darndest to change the behavior of countries before they tried to change the behavior of the United States. Big countries, countries they won't dare touch starting with the letter C. There are, there, th- th- these are countries that they are afraid of on an issue that they don't care that much about. And it's true of almost everything you hear the Democrats screech about. Crime? They don't care. Borders? They don't care. The borders, you know, is part of my list of things People hypocritically talk about, starting with Lincoln, who said it's interesting that no person 
who's a slave owner has ever advocated being a slave for himself? Or Ronald Reagan's line about abortion, the only people who advocated are those that were already born. The only people who talk about this are the people who are unaffected by it and have their own walls around them. Take immigration. Take, take immigration. The loudest voices on a loose immigration policy, the loudest voices condemning the Trump immigration policy were from people who had either security guards themselves or secured housing for themselves, that is to say, gated or guarded. They were the loudest voices. The loudest voices who screech on this stuff never leave their doors unlocked, or, for that matter, a welcome sign for the stranger. It wouldn't be hard to fix this. It really wouldn't. Think about what Joe Biden did on his first day of office. First day. Stopped construction of the wall, ended the travel ban, revoked the executive order directing the administration to employ all lawful means to enforce the immigration laws of the United States, and issued interim enforcement guidelines that limited enforcement actions to only those aliens who posed a threat to national security. Four things on the first day, any, which, any one of which could quietly be revoked to save face and fix or begin to fix the problem. They have no interest in it. None. They won't do it. Their interest on the border is not your interest on the border. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.